0: Father, as we get into your word tonight, we pray that you would speak truth into our lives. We love you. We thank you. We're so glad that we get to partner with you in what you're doing and hearing your heart. So I pray tonight that you would be our teacher, that you would instruct us. And Father, we would be more like you by the time we leave here this evening. We pray that in Jesus' name amen amen well tonight we begin a brand new book of the bible and i love these nights i am so nervous energy kind of guy that about five six weeks into i know, I know that's shocking to some of you some of you go you're kidding that we didn't know that about you but i'm that way that five six weeks into a book study i'm like when's the next book so this last couple of weeks been great Ruth. One night and done. I like that. And now, First Samuel. Man, we're starting a new book. It's two weeks in a row. I love this kind of stuff. Now, listen. For you Bible students, First Samuel, a good way to remember the content of the book is to remember it's basically about three people three characters and we'll be reminding of you reminding you of this as we go through the book but it's basically about three people. The first 7 chapters is about the prophet Samuel, who the book is named after. He's the last judge of Israel. Those guys that we learned about in the book of Judges. We're still kind of in that time frame. This is like the transition book between the time of judges and the time of the monarchy. So, he's the last judge, he's one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. He's also a priest. He's got many judges Jobs and many duties, he will anoint the first king over Israel, and that's who the second part of the book is about, and that's King Saul. We'll meet him in a few weeks from now, and boy, he starts off great, but ends up just an unmitigated disaster for the nation of Israel. And we'll look at why and all of that in the uh, few weeks that are ahead. So Samuel anoints the first king over Israel, and, and, he anoints who will become in 2 Samuel the second king over Israel and the greatest king that Israel will ever have. The man that all of their leaders will be measured up to all the way through the scriptures. And you know who that is. That is David. To be King David in 2 Samuel. But in this book, we read about his young life, his early life, the experience between him and Saul and there's just some great stuff. And so we'll see him become king in 2 Samuel. Which, which, by the way, Brings up another point that in the Hebrew Bible, where, where we, you know, that's the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, 1st and 2nd Samuel are one book. There is no division like we have in our English Bibles. In fact, 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings are all one part of one really giant book in the Hebrew Bible known as the Book of the Kingdoms. It was Christian scholar Jerome who influenced the translators of his time to divide the books into four parts, into the subject matter that we have before us today. And modern Jewish Bibles divide them into the book of Samuel and the book of King. So they've gone from one to two, and we've gone from one to four. So I, I like the divisions. I like that Jerome put them into smaller pieces because it makes it easier for us to work these books into smaller, workable parts. And what we're going to do is going up into summer we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna study 1st and 2nd Samuel together and that'll take us right up to the end of June and then for our Wednesday nights this summer we're gonna leave the history for just a little bit and we're gonna look at the poetic writings of the hero of 2nd Samuel and that would be King David so we're gonna take a summer in the Psalms and we're gonna look at Psalms we're gonna have shorter studies on Wednesday night I know you can cry about it later we're gonna have a little shorter studies and then and then we're gonna spend time on Wednesday nights this summer just waiting upon the Lord, just doing some worship after the Bible study and letting the Spirit of God just pour out. So excited about that. If we have time, we'll look a little bit at the poetry written by David's son, Solomon, and then in the fall, assuming the Lord doesn't change our plans, but in the fall, this is what I'm planning, in the fall, we'll get right back into the book of the kingdoms and we'll study first and second kings starting in September. And we'll learn all these kings starting with Solomon and then Rehobo as the kingdom divides and you've got Israel in the north and Judah in the south and all that happens in the history up to that point and taking a break for Christmas and then the new year again if the Lord is still leading this way. Man, then, then, then we can look at the prophets that ministered to these guys as they sat on the throne. So I like that breakup where we got some history, poetry, then we got some prophecy, and in a year and a half, here on our Wednesday nights, we'll cover about 600 years of Jewish history, but to do that we better start with 1st Samuel shouldn't we we should probably start right where we're at we got to get through this book if we're going to do anything else and so 1st Samuel 1st Samuel well tradition holds that Samuel is the author of 1st Samuel just as the the tradition holds that he wrote Judges and the book of Ruth the Talmud which is the original commentary on the Old Testament it tells us that Samuel wrote Judges Samuel wrote Ruth and Samuel wrote up to chapter 25 of 1st Samuel that's when Samuel dies then Attributes the rest of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel to the prophets Gad and Nathan. It also, by the way, just a little Bible trivia for you, it attributes the Jewish town that does, 1 and 2 Kings to Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And we'll get into all why of that as we finally get to those books over the months to come. But listen, the key thing for you to know tonight is 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings are written from the perspective of the prophets they have these kings and their walks with God in view. How they related to God, how they honored God, the, 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 the problems they, they had, the sins they had, are examined with a prophet's eye, and we get to learn much about the good side and the bad side of these kings of Israel. Now, you contrast that with First and Second Chronicles. First and Second Chronicles basically tells the same story, but it tells it from a completely different perspective. It tells it from the perspective of priests who lived later, about the time of Nehemiah. And, and, and what's really emphasized in 1 and 2 Chronicles is how these kings interacted with the temple and the priests and the Levitical system and the sins of the kings. Well, it's seen through eyes of grace. In fact, David's sin, not mentioned in 1 and 2 Chronicles. Solomon? What idolatry? <laughs> it just—it seems to be missing in First and Second Chronicles. And why and the reasons for that we'll get into when we study the book. But understand this. 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, written from the perspective of the what? The prophets. The prophets. Samuel, Gad, Nathan, maybe Jeremiah, writing from a prophet's perspective, the history of the nation of Israel. 1 and 2 Chronicles, written from the perspective of the priest. So with that said, we still haven't made it to verse one. First Samuel, again, is looking at three sections. It's looking at Samuel. It's looking at Saul. It's looking at David. And tonight and next week, we're going to tackle that first section. And we are going to learn about a guy by the name of Samuel. Kind of an outline for the first seven chapters. We're going to see Samuel's parents tonight, his godly heritage he had. We're going to see his preparation, what prepared him for the ministry. And then next week, we'll look at chapters four through seven. Don't get too nervous we're not gonna get all the way to seven tonight but sometimes I would you know me but not tonight tonight we're gonna save that for next week and look at Samuel's predicament or the world that he lived in and just wrapped up that study today super super excited about next Wednesday night but let's start chapter one verse one as we see together Samuel's parents now There was a certain man of Ramath Zophin of the mountains of Ephraim and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoam, the son of Elu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zohu and Ephraimite. Now you should memorize that. That's very important stuff. Verse two. Just kidding. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah and the name of other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah, uh uh-oh, had no children. And this man went up from the city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, oh, don't don't say it, don't say it. Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? Oh, Elkanah. Verse 9. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, and Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness, this is Hannah, soul, and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I notice I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened that she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli, good high priest, said to her, "'How long will you be drunk? "'Put away your wine from you.' "'But Hannah answered and said, "'No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. "'I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, "'but I've poured out my soul before the Lord. "'Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, "'for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief "'I have spoken until now.' "'And Eli said, sorry about that. "'No, he said, go in peace. "'The Lord of Israel, grant your petition "'which you have asked of him.' And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away and she ate and her face was no longer sad. Then they they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked of him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifices and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, Then I will take him That he may appear before the Lord And remain there forever So Elkanah her husband Said to her Do what seems best to you Wait until you've weaned him Only let the Lord establish his word You gotta do this honey Then the woman stayed And nursed her son Until she had weaned him Now when she had weaned him She took him up with her With three bulls One ephod of flour A skin of wine And brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the Lord and the child was young. And they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I'm the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord for the child I prayed for. And the Lord has granted me my petition when I asked of him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord all as long as he lives. He shall be lent to the Lord. And they worship the Lord there. Samuel's parents... Were godly people who love the Lord. You say, wait a second. Well, listen. Yes, they had issues. Sure, they had issues like all of us do. They had issues. Issue number one, Elkanah had two wives. That's an issue. That's an issue. That's an issue. That will always, always, always be a problem. You know, sometimes I hear these young guys and they read about, you know, Abraham and David and Elkanah having a couple of wives. And I think, I can see the benefit of that. You know, one that's a really good cook and one that's really good with the kid. Young men, put that out of your mind. That is never, 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 never a good idea. And if you read your Bible honestly, if Abraham could come here tonight, and David, and Elkanah, they'd all tell you, warning, don't do this. Don't do this. It is not a good idea. And you see, when the word of God tells us about a guy like Elkanah, it's not condoning what he did. It's just telling you faithfully the true story of what happened in fact. To read this story honestly is just another reason that God forbid polygamy in the first place. There is jealousy, there is fighting, there is depression. Why? Because the word of God was ignored. Well, then why, why, why would a godly man ignore the word of God and have two wives in the first place? Well, one indication in the text might be that Hannah was his first wife. Yet she was barren. And so it was a very common practice of the day. They took on Penina to continue the lineage of Elkanah. You see the Jews were very much into preserving your lineage, keeping the family name going. We saw that last week with the book of Ruth, that, that, that the, whole, the whole written end of the, low, the, the the code of the law was this idea of a kinsman redeemer to buy back the land and the law of the leatherite marriage, the brother marriage, that if your brother died before he could have kids, you as a brother were to marry his wife and raise up a kid in his name. Why? Because the Jews were into cond- Continuing their name. And so it could be, it could be that's where it came from. It wasn't that Elkanah was looking around and said, I need another woman. Maybe that's not what it was. Maybe it really was him wanting to continue on his name. But even if that was a justifiable reason, there are still problems. For Penina makes life horrible for Hannah. She mocks her. She makes fun of her. And even with all these problems and issues, this godly family still, what, every year, goes to the tabernacle in Shiloh. And again, please remember, this story is taking place in the time of the judges. Do you remember two weeks ago? Do you remember how wicked the time of judges were when everyone was doing what's right in their own eyes and Levites have concubines and they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff? This is a wicked time in Israel's history and yet here's a family who are, everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. They're saying, nope, nope, we're still gonna come and we're gonna worship the Lord. Elkanah, he's got issues like we all have issues, but he's trying to be a godly man. He's trying to be a good husband. I mean, he sees Hannah upset. He sees that she's afflicted. He knows that she's barren. He tries to make up for it by giving her a double portion of meat. He's trying. He's trying to be a good husband. He's trying. You see, men, we've got to try. Peter tells us in the King James Version of the Bible, mind you, the King James It says, likewise, husbands, dwell with your wife according to knowledge. Do you see that men that are married in this room? You are commanded, commanded by God, to dwell with your wife with knowledge. Of course, then the King, the New King James Version came along and retranslated the verse and says, likewise, husbands, dwell with your wife with understanding. And the New King James messed everything up. Husbands, you are to know your wife. You're to know what upsets her. You're to know what blesses her. And you're to seek to live after the things that bless her. You have to engage your mind and have knowledge of the subject of your wife. You don't have to know my wife. You don't have to know Pastor Rob's wife. But you are commanded by God to know your wife. But understand (laughs) No, no, I don't think any man will ever understand a woman. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be comical or chauvinistic by saying that. I just know guys. And I don't think it's possible to understand. Elkanah is trying to be knowledgeable. He knows Hannah's having a hard time. He tries to bless her with a double portion of meat. That is the most loving gift a husband can give. (laughs) what would I like? I'd like a steak. Here you go, babe. Here's two steaks. Here's two steaks. He's trying to work with knowledge, but he doesn't understand. How do I know he doesn't understand? Because in verse 8, he says one of the dumbest things in all of the Bible. The dumbest things. Why are you sad, babe? Why are you crying? Aren't I better than ten sons? Dumb, 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 Elkanah. Notice... Notice she doesn't give him an answer. <laughs> Do you notice that? Notice she says, Oh, sure you are. She doesn't say that. Man, Hannah's a woman of integrity, but she, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. She doesn't. But notice also, listen, 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 listen. Notice she also doesn't rail on him either. In fact, she goes to the one place, listen to me, ladies, she goes to the one place where she knows she'll be understood. She goes into the presence of the Lord. What a lesson that is. You see, marriage can be one of the most wonderful things on earth. But it is key, it is key, it is key to realize you will never find your fulfillment in another human being. You guys can be the greatest of friends. You can be the greatest of lovers. You can do life together and parent together. But she is not your God. He is not your savior. And when you put those things on your spouse, something they were never created to fulfill, problems will always be the result. Hannah loves Elkanah. Elkanah loves Hannah, but Hannah knows that guy, that guy's trying to know me and understand, but he doesn't understand. So I'm going to the place where I know I'll always be understood. She goes into the presence of the Lord and she pours out her heart before the Lord. She pours out her heart. She's weeping before the Lord. She's interceding before the Lord. And that's when we get introduced to Eli, the high priest. He sees her and he thinks she's drunk. Now this speaks volumes about him as a priest. I mean, number one, it speaks to the fact that he doesn't know what it looks like when someone is pouring out their heart before the Lord. I mean, I hope you kind of know the difference. <laughs> you see someone up front here, just, oh, Lord. You're like, that person's praying. Versus someone, you know, there's a difference. There's a difference. And hopefully, hopefully you see it in your own life. You know what, you know what, what it's like for you to pour out your heart before the Lord. You see it around you that, 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 that you know the difference between the two. He, he doesn't see the difference. It speaks volumes of the culture that they lived in again where this apparently was happening all the time. People were walking just completely drunk into the tabernacle and just being carnal in front of the Lord. Hannah is not drunk. She's pouring out her heart, making vows to the Lord, and notice what she's bowing. She says, if you give me a child, I will give him back to you. Now, we are just a few weeks removed from studying another vow that we read about in the book of Judges, where Jephthah vows, Lord, give me victory, and I will sacrifice whatever comes out of my house to meet me. And whatever you think about what he actually did and how he actually fulfilled that vow, the last thing I'm going to do tonight is open up that can of worms again. In fact, I've got to just say, the more I serve here, the more I am just impressed with the brilliance of our pastor, Pastor Rob. Because you see, on Sunday, before that study, he teaches this amazing study about Jephthah and how he was delivered from his past. And it was was great. If you missed that, get it online. It was a great study. And then he just throws out. And if you want to know whether or not Jephthah killed his daughter, Jason will tell you on Wednesday nights. And he let me, listen, listen, listen. It's not that Pastor Rob can't handle difficult things. He handles difficult texts all the time. He's just smart enough not to walk into that bear trap. He opens the door and says, maybe Jason will go through. And I, oh, sure. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, I'm not going to do it twice in a couple of weeks. your own opinion. That's fine. That's fine. But here's the question for tonight. Here's the question for tonight. What's the difference? I mean, we can all agree, no matter what we think Jephthah did, it was foolish of him to make a vow. You don't have to make a vow. The New Testament tells us not to make vows. So what's the difference? What's the difference between Jephthah and what Hannah is doing here in 1 Samuel chapter 1? Well, I suggest to you the difference was one of motivation and inspiration. Motivation and inspiration. Jephthah was motivated by... Something he wanted to gain for victory. He wanted to make a name for himself. So he tries to talk God into giving him what he wants. Hannah, as we read her prayer in chapter 2, you see her real motivation is a desire to give God her son. It's not that she wanted him for herself. Maybe that's how her prayer started years before. But now she just wants the joy of giving her son back to the Lord. So I believe motivation was different. And I also believe the inspiration was different. Jephthah again did it. He didn't need to make a vow. God was going to bless him. But he was convinced, I've got to talk God into this. So he's really the inspiration for his vow, not the Lord. With Hannah, God is wanting to produce one of the greatest men in the Old Testament. So I suggest to you that God was inspiring what she was saying and the circumstances, listen, that led up to that point. You see, she had had years of disappointment. We read this in a three-minute story. But let's be real. This was years she went through this. Years maybe of being barren as the only wife of Elkanah. Why am I barren? The Jews... The Jews wrongly saw it as a curse from God. Why am I going through it? And then, and then he takes on another woman to continue on his line. Maybe the problem's with Elkanah. No, 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 no. Penina is as fertile as Hannah is not. And then Penina just rubs it in her face. And for years, for years, she cries out to the Lord. But you see, in the process, God was doing something in her heart. You see, maybe, maybe, when she first started praying, her prayers were Lord, give me a son so I can give him to my husband. She looked at Penina and all these kids that were growing up and the fact that Penina just kept giving her husband sons. And no doubt in my mind, the prayer started, Lord, give me a child so I can give a child to my husband. But as she prayed those prayers, there was only silence for heaven. Now we can say that seems cruel. That seems unloving. But we know the end of the story. God was wanting to do something amazing. He wasn't just wanting to raise up another child. He was wanting to give a prophet to the nation. And so he keeps working on Hannah's heart until she's at the place where she says in verse 11, give me a son so I can give him back to you. And God has brought her to the place she needed to be. Wait a second. How do I know if I'm in that process? I'm praying about something, and it seems like I'm getting silence from heaven. How do I know if God's just ignoring me? Or if God's doing something great? Well, first of all, God is never ignoring you. God is hearing your prayers. But Peter, in 1 Peter 4.8, he says this. Cast your cares upon him, knowing he cares for you. And listen, listen, precious men and women. This is key to understand. That word picture of cast, you know, we think of it as, you know, casting out a, I'm just going to cast out my prayers and see what I get. That's That's not the picture of the Greek. The picture of the Greek, the word picture, is actually pushing a cart up a hill. And think that through with me, what would happen? You push this cart up the hill, and what's going to happen? Gravity is going to bring it back. And you've got to push it again, and gravity brings it back. And some of you, a light's going on right now. You're like, that's exactly how I feel like when I pray. I feel like I give this burden over to the Lord, and I'm good for a day, and then it's back. And then I give it over to him, and it's back. And I, oh, Lord, I trust you with this. And then, no, I don't. You know, Is that normal? Yes. But what happens as you push a cart up a hill? Well, you become stronger. You become different. You become what God is wanting you to become. And what was true of Hannah will be true of you and me. And when we get to the place where like Hannah, we're not praying, God, give me a child so I can give it to my husband. But what God, and there's nothing wrong with that prayer. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. There are many women in the Bible that God answered that prayer in their lives. He answered that prayer for Rebecca. He answered that prayer for Sarah. That's not a bad prayer. But God was doing something different. He wanted to give the nation a prophet. And when she prays, Lord, I'll give them back to you. Well, then, then, amen. God does something amazing. God shows up. Eli the priest puts his blessing on this. He says, The Lord give you what you want. The Lord give you this child. And it says that Hannah went away and she was no longer sad. What a testimony of faith. You realize, you realize, you realize she wasn't pregnant at that moment. (laughs) She she wasn't suddenly like, Oh, I, I feel a baby moving. Thank you, Jesus. No, no. All she had was the word of the Lord that this was going to change. That was enough for Hannah. Oh, Lord, mature us all. I remember in the early days of the ministry in Texas, you know, like every young church, we'd get to a point where my guy that was doing our finances would say, We're out of money. (laughs) I don't know how we're going to pay the electric bill that's coming. And I'd start to pray, Lord, how is it? And then some guy would walk in and write us a check. And I'd get that check, and I'd just be rejoicing. Oh, praise the Lord. And everyone, the when the Lord just convicted me one day. He said, why are you rejoicing? Because I got the check. Because <laughs> you got a piece of paper with some numbers on it. What if that check bounces? Well, I never thought of that. Now I'm worried again. <laughs> the Lord said to my heart you've always had a piece of paper with a promise on it you've had my word and my word is better than any check from no matter who it's from we have his word friends and when God makes us promises we we like Hannah can say Lord I'm gonna I'm gonna choose to believe you I'm going to choose to trust you. I'm going to choose that you are going to come through. And God does. She has this baby. She raises this baby until he's a certain age. Some scholars say three. Some scholars say all the way up to eight. I don't know. I mean, the thought is that she would have brought him when he was able to kind of survive on his own three seems a little young for that (laughs) i don't know many three-year-olds it's like you're good take care of yourself but you know i don't know many eight-year-olds but the reality is is that he was a little older in his in his development and she just gave him back to the lord that takes faith too huh you guys know the story you know eli's a horrible father and a pretty crummy priest (laughs) and she just trusts him to who eli no into his new adopted uncles? No. She's trusting him to the Lord. These are some great parents that Samson has. A great lineage. Well, moving on to chapter 2. We leave his parents. And now we see his preparation. Samuel's preparation. Verses 1 through 11 is Hannah's praise, she just lets out a praise. And you can see, you can see in this, she's not giving her son saying, "Mm -hmm, I'm giving it. She is just thanking God for this opportunity to give a child over to the Lord. But verse 11, we pick up the story. And Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli, oh no, were corrupt. They did not know the Lord, and the priest's custom with the people was that anyone offered a sacrifice. The priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling, and then he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle and the cauldron or the pot. And the priest would take for himself all that the flesh the flesh uh, hook brought up. And so they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. And also before they burned the fat, the priest servants would come and say to the man who sacrificed, give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat because he's the priest and he gets whatever he wants. He will take boiled meat for you, but, but not boiled meat, but raw. And if the man, if the man should say to them, but they should really burn the fat first, that's what it says in the law of God, then you shall take as much As your heart desires, he, he would then answer them, No, but you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men abhorred the offering of the Lord. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child. Wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. And they would go to their home. And the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons had done to all of Israel, how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of the evil dealings from all your people. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress." If one man sin against another, God will judge him. But if another man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. And the child Samuel grew in, in stature and in favor with both the Lord and men. And a man of God came to Eli and said, Thus says the Lord, Did I clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when you were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tra- Tribes of Israel to go be my priest, to offer upon my altar the burnt incense and wear an ephod before me, and I did not give the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire. Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offerings, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me, to make yourself fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people? Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I say indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever but now the Lord says far be it from me for those who honor me I will honor and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed behold the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arms of your father's house so there will not be an old man in your house and you will see an enemy in my dwelling place despite all the good which God does for Israel and there shall not be an old man in your house forever but any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart and all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age now this shall be a sign to you will come upon you your two sons Hophni and Phinehas in one day they shall die both of them we'll read that story next week then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before my anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. Samuel is gonna be one of the greatest priests in Israel's history. But in chapter two here, we see the things that prepared him. And one of the first things we see is he learns from some bad examples. He's got some bad examples in Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. These sons of Eli were taking more than the Bible gave them as a share of the offering. You see, if you were with us when we studied Leviticus or Numbers, maybe you remember, maybe you don't. But but God said, I want my Levites, my priests, to be separate. I don't want them worrying about the fields of their home. I don't want them to worry about a nation that's their own or a a tribe that's their own. I, I want them to live in cities that I'll appoint for them in your tribes. And I want them to live off the offerings you give to them. So he gives this elaborate system of the rest of the nation of Israel would offer sacrifices to God and some of it would be burnt to the Lord and some of the offering would be taken by the priests so they could eat and they could live. But you see, even though God took care of his priests, these guys were going way beyond they come up with this flesh hook. They're just gonna stick a flesh hook into the offering and whatever they rip out. That's mine. That's mine. <laughs> and then and then they, they decide I don't want boiled meat like the Lord says I'm supposed to have. I want the fatty marbled meat. And although I can understand, I can understand. It was not, it was not what God said. He said no. And so they were taking more than God gave them, and 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 they were doing it by force. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine if, and now the men will come forward to receive tonight's missions offering. And as we come forward, this guy is receiving your offering. And he's there at the end of the aisle saying, come on, what you doing? Put some money in the bag, yo. I mean, what, can you imagine if we did something that way? Or we just kept the bag in front of you. You're like, praise the Lord. And we're like, no, <laughs> it's not moving until you're reaching your pocket. How? Well, of course, you would be on your way to another church. And you should, you should, you should. But understand, there was no other church. There's no other place to go except the tabernacle. So the people start to loathe coming to the tabernacle. Not because they loathe God. Because they loathe these priests. You know, and it just got me thinking. What can we do to either hinder People from encountering the Lord, or encouraging people to encounter the Lord. I think this is something we need to really think through, because obviously we're not going to send a mobster down the aisle to take the offering, and but all of us play a role in this, friends. You know, when I was when I was sixteen, my uh, my, my my stepdad got a new job in Fresno, California. We were living in Orange County, and. So I left, I left the high school that I was a part of for two years, I left the church I got saved at, Calvary Costa Mesa, and we moved up to Fresno, and first couple of weeks I was up there, I, I went to, to visit, you know, a church that I was familiar with, and I, I just, I knew what they believed, and, and when I went in, it was so tiny, it was like 15 or 25 people in one room, and like nobody reached out to me. I mean, people would say hi, but it was, that was about it, like Hi. Why are you here? That's just, that's what their face was saying. And I was just like, oh. And so I kind of sat in the back and it was awkward. I couldn't wait for it to be over. Couldn't wait for it to be over. A couple weeks later, I went to the biggest church in town. And can I say, honestly, like after going there for a couple of years, theologically, really off, really off. I'd listen to some of the messages and even as a, even as a 17 year old, I was like, I don't think that's true. (laughs) I don't think God wants me to (laughs) write a $10,000 check and trust him with it. I just, I'm, I'm 17. I don't think that's what God wants me to do at this moment. Like there was some weird stuff being taught from the pulpit and there was some carnality. I would notice the leaders and a couple of the leaders be making out in the back in the high school ministry. And I'm like, I don't know if that's okay. I'm 17, but I don't. I don't know if you should be doing that in the back of the youth room. You know, I. I was not, but listen, the first night I visited, one of the guy, one of the guys, not, not the pastor, it's one of the guys in the church, walks up to me. What's your name? I told him my name. Where do you go to school? I told him where I went to school. are you know? He could just tell I was new. He said, "Why are you new? Why, why are you visiting our church?" And I got to tell him how I. Grew up in Southern California and now I'm in a new place and I got to share with them my story. And and this guy, this guy, just some random guy in the church said, I hope you find a home here. And that was it. I was there until I left town two years later. You see, I know in this congregation, man, the people that God raises up to lead worship, man, worship, it'll be there. I know, I know Pastor Rob and I work really hard to bring the word of God to you guys but all of us me included I'm not putting myself not in this but while all of us are walking through the hallways while all of us are looking at people I mean we we have a very short time stand and say hello to one another maybe not the time for that but if you notice someone would you would you go up to them and ask them what their story is even if you know how many people in this room do you know their story you might have even gone to this church for 10 years. Do you know the story of people that sit on the other side? <laughs> I don't know, people sit next, right next to me. I understand. <laughs> but maybe, 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 maybe. Not not, not putting anything on you tonight. Maybe we should pray that through. Because I don't want anything hindering what people want, what, what God wants to do in people's hearts. And how we respond to people that walk in the door. Listen, to me, it's just as impactful as what goes on from the pulpit what goes on in the worship, it's just as impactful. When we're serving in children's ministry, when we're serving at the door, such important stuff, such important stuff. You know, these priests were not good examples. They're making people loathe coming to worship by forcing the offering upon them and then, and then, if that wasn't bad enough, then they're sleeping with the women that come to worship. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's as bad as it gets. But it happens. It happens. When I was pastoring the church in Texas, I had an assistant pastor that I could tell something was wrong with him. You know, it just went from being joyful and excited to down all the time. And I, you know, I'd follow him around like, you okay? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Okay. A couple days later, are you sure you're okay? Yeah, I'm great. Everything's great. No, it's not. When are you going to tell me? I'm fine. Okay. And I just knew, I knew, I go, "Ah, probably something with pornography, maybe some alcohol abuse, maybe some drugs even. I, I don't know. Are you sure you're okay? I'm okay. And then one day he came to me and he said, I got something to confess. I said, I know you do. I know. I know. I know. Because I know. I I don't know. I worked with this guy every day. That's the only reason I knew. He said, yeah, I got something to confess. I just want to be free. And then he said, I'm sleeping with multiple women in the church. Multiple. Like, right before he said it, I was like, whatever this guy says, I just want to help him through this. I just want to work. I want to help him get some controls on his computer. I want to help him with whatever substance he's and I was like, what, what did you just say? Some of you, some of you remember Jason Yetz. who used to work in our youth ministry here. And uh, he was another one of my assistant pastors, not the guy I'm telling the story about. Not, Let's be clear, <laughs> not the guy I'm telling the story about. He literally had to hold me down. I was so angry. And I'm a pretty friendly guy. I, was, I could not believe it. And you know why? I mean, to me, listen, I'm a sinner. I, I'm, I, am a gr- I know I'm a sinner, you guys are God's kids. You guys are the bride of Christ. And I know I've told the Lord this, and I know Rob feels the same way. If I'm ever going to do anything that makes worshiping the Lord loathsome for you, if I'm going to ever do anything that's going to touch and harm the bride of Christ, I've told God, kill me before I do it. Just kill me. Now, some of you are going to wonder if I die suddenly. (laughs) Remember that sermon? (laughs) Remember what he said? Who (laughs) knows? Listen, I know my wicked heart, but I fear. I fear coming between Jesus and his bride. I fear that with all that I am. But these guys didn't. But what I want you to notice is in the midst of all of this disgusting sin, it says over and over again, little Samuel is just ministering before the Lord. I don't know if he even really knows the Lord yet, if you were paying attention on our Sunday morning Bible study, but he's just ministering to the Lord. And I love that, you know, because we can look at our culture around us and say, it's getting so dark, we're post-Christian. We probably are. But do you know that doesn't scare the Lord? The Lord's not like, what am I gonna do? Post-Christian, oh no. The Lord, the Lord has those that are his hopefully you, who is just serving him in the midst of a world that's just going crazy. There will come opportunities, and there will come time for you just to step out and serve him. But you and I have got to be prepared. And one of the things to learn from Samuel is he had all these bad examples from, from around him, and he could have just been a statistic. He could have said, that's what they do. I guess that's what priests do. And he could have just been just like them. But he went the opposite way. He said, that isn't good. The Lord judges that. I'm going in the opposite direction. And church family, we all have that opportunity. You might have had great examples as parents. You might have for your entire life had great examples and godly leaders in your life. And for that, I say, amen, learn from those examples. But maybe you don't. Maybe you grew up in a crazy broken home. Maybe, you know, you've had some crazy godly leaders. I hope you're not talking about me when you say that, but you've had some people that you just go, I don't, I don't even know about that guy. You have a choice. You have a choice to either just blame God for, oh, you didn't give me a chance and kind of go down the stream, or you have a choice to say, Lord, I'm gonna learn from this bad example and I'm gonna be different. I'm gonna trust you. I'm going to do what you want me to do. We have a choice. Look, look at verse 30 again in chapter 2. Look at it. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed uh, to your house and your house before me, walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Choose choose to follow the lord choose to go after him with all that you are choose to love him embrace him choose to follow jesus Samuel just ministers before the lord and I love it every year every year Elkanah even though all this crazy stuff was happening even though the priests were like grabbing meat and like hey baby even though all that was happening here they still come I mean let's be real that's what was happening and Elkanah's like we're still going to worship the lord I mean, that is as gross as church can get. And he says, I'm still gonna come and honor the Lord. And while that's happening, they keep bringing him these little ephods. And Eli the priest says, the Lord bless you guys for the loan that you gave to the Lord. And did you notice? God did bless. Hannah has three more sons and two daughters. And once again, the great lesson, you will never outgive the Lord. We can all talk about, oh, I gave up this for the Lord. I, I give the Lord money every week. <laughs> you, you will never outgive the Lord. No way. He gives us beauty for ashes, and he blesses our socks off continually. You will never outgive the Lord. You know, I, I guess it's like story night about the church in Texas. This is a good one. <laughs> the other two are kind of sad, but when we, were, when we were first starting out again, I mean, first six months in, our budget was $4,500 a month. You know, well that's a lot of money. Uh, no, it's not. Because <laughs> we had the rent for the church. We had uh, what I would live on. And uh, so the church bills were about 2500 I lived on $2,000 a month with two kids and a house. And, and uh, that was it. That was all we had. And I remember the Lord kept impressed upon in my heart. I want you to support a missionary as a church. And I was like, well, well, Lord, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't work out. You know? This is, it didn't happen. It's just, you know, do I not pay the electric bill? Do I not feed my children? Like, what, what, what do you want? And, and I just, again, I would pray over this, and the Lord would just say, you got to do that. you got to do this. Do this. And, so, and so just we took a step of faith as a church congregation, as a board. We said, we're going to support a missionary couple at $500 a month. And it was crazy. The next month and the next month after that, God added $5,000 to our church budget. We went from $5,000 to $10,000 in three months as a budget. Now that is starting to get to be some money you can use. I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And then we thought, well, let's, let's, let's well, God's bless. let's do this again. And so we, we took another missionary and started sending them $500 a month. And true story, the next three months, God gave us $5,000 more to our church. The board and I started looking for missionaries to support. We were like... <laughs> Who wants to go on the mission field? (laughs) Because I'll be honest. Like, part of it was like, we believe in missions. Part of it was like, I'm noticing something here. We give 10, and God sends 90%. Like, I like that kind of stuff. And I share that story with you, not that that's the reason we give. That's not the reason we give. If you give that way, I don't know what'll happen. But I share it with you because I love you. I love you, church. And I know that you're not going to outgive the Lord, whether it's, to surrender a relationship to him, whether it's to surrender your life to him, whether it's to surrender a portion of your income to him, you will not, I promise you, you will not stand there before the Lord someday and say, you owe me so much. (laughs) No, I just gave and gave and gave and you just took, took, took. Oh my, that will never happen. It'll never happen, church. And again, I'm not saying that to pressure you. The dude with the suit isn't coming out. I'm saying it. I'm saying it because I love you. You will never outgive the Lord. And if some of you are in that place, like I feel, man, pray to him. What do you want me to surrender to you? What am I holding on to that just needs to be lent to you? Samuel, Samuel learned from the bad example that uh, God had given him. And as we learned on Sunday, His other preparation was he learned to hear the Lord. If you miss miss Sunday, I encourage you to to go back and listen to Pastor Rob's study online because, man, you you need to hear that. learning. To hear the voice of the Lord. Samuel had to learn. He's a little kid. He's sleeping in the tabernacle because Eli's old and blind, so he doesn't even know like when the candles are going out, and he can't he can't trust his sons, so he puts Eli in there. And he's like, you tell me. He puts Samuel in there. You tell me when it starts to you know it starts to get dark, and we'll replace the oil. And he, he says, Samuel's just sleeping in the tabernacle, and God begins to speak to him. There's, there's a guy at our church on Sunday who you know, he works almost all night, and and, and he comes to our church even though he's been working all night. I love this guy. And sometimes he'll come to me after service, he's like, sorry, I nodded off a little bit. I'm like, bro, bro, you've just been on an eight-hour shift and you still came to first service. Like, you're amazing. But I said to him, I said, don't worry about that. Because you're here. And the Lord can speak to you even when you're sleeping in church. Just ask Samuel. Just ask Samuel. He's asleep in the tabernacle and God says, Samuel, (laughs) what, what? And he goes to Eli and he, I didn't call you. And he goes back and says, Samuel, oh, you did call me Eli. No, no, no. Go back. Samuel. Maybe it's the Lord, as Pastor Rob shared with us. Say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. Samuel goes back and says, speak, Lord, your servant hears. And God tells him, just like that prophet told Eli, he told him what was going to happen to Eli's house. He told him those sons were going to die. He told him that God was going to judge And all this time, what's happening? Samuel's learning. Eli wakes him up the next morning. Tell me what God told you. And it says that Samuel told him everything. What a preparation for ministry! Told him everything. It'd been so easy for little little Samuel to say, "I don't remember." (laughs) But God told him he was going to kill Eli and his sons. Like that's a tough message. Samuel told him everything in his heart. It's really what we need in the world today. Men and women, that'll tell the whole truth from the whole counsel of God. This world is full of too many preachers who who tell half the story. The good news, God loves you. Yes, he does. God saved you if you believe. Amen, amen, amen. But you need to walk with him, church family. You need to obey him. Those that do, mm, God says he will bless you. And those that don't, God said you'll be lightly esteemed. Not by him. He loves you. But what happens in your life, that's the truth. God give us men and women in our lives who will speak the truth. Who will speak the truth, not just in here. That's going to happen. But in your workplace, at your school, men and women that will speak the truth. And then believe the truth. I want to follow you just like just like Samuel did, to obey you and live with you. Man, Samuel is going to be used by the Lord in amazing ways. And that's difficult because he, he had a tough world that he lived in. And we'll see that world. Such an important study next Wednesday night. Let's stand together. Father, as we uh, come before you tonight and just close with a song, Lord, we're thankful for what we learn in your word tonight that Samuel, he had those godly examples in his mother and his father. They had issues just like we had issues. But, Lord, I pray, I pray that even though we have issues, we would leave a legacy to our kids, that they know that we're praying for them, that we know that we love you and that we love them, and that when we do sin, because we will, we'd be quick to repent even before them and teach them how it is to repent and have a real relationship with you because they're going to sin and fall in their lives. I pray, Lord, you would be faithful to prepare us, that we'd see bad examples in our lives and learn and not to experience what they did, but go the other direction. And Lord, God, as we hear you, we would be prepared, as it says there in chapter three, by the word of the Lord, that your word would shape us day in and day out as we believe what it says, all of what it says, the good things and the difficult things, and apply them to our hearts and lives like young Samuel did. God, may you do that in our hearts. May we be sensitive to your voice. May we hear you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.